Christmas Unwrapped Part Two, let's get into it. Christmas Unwrapped Part Two, Isaiah chapter 53. If you got your notes out, take them out. If you got a phone, go to waterschurch.guide. Fill in the blanks on waterschurch.guide at the notes section. Uh, take notes, very important. I love seeing you guys engaged again. I'm seeing the head bob down again when I say write this down. Love it, make sure you take notes. Um, they, there might be a quiz at the pearly gates. That's why you take notes, you never know. Anyway, Isaiah 53, we're in a very different passage of scripture when it comes to Christmas. Usually you go to Luke 2 or Matthew 1 and 2, but, but we're in the Old Testament. We're in Isaiah 53. It's a sad scripture. It's about the death of Jesus. It's about the suffering of Jesus. And we're taking a different turn this year at Christmas for our messages because it's a different Christmas than ever before. So Christmas Unwrapped, God's Good News Plan. Part two, God's Good News Plan. I wanna to talk to you about the F word for a moment. Because there's a chance you're gonna hear it on Christmas. I don't know what it is, we always plan for a good Christmas, but how many know uh, the, the, the plans of mice and men? <laughs> we plan for this, we, and we, we plan for A, we get X. I think 2020 is a composite of our plans not coming to fruition. Life has a way of shocking us. Christmas Day especially, and I think this is what's gonna happen in your home at some point. Someone in your home on Christmas Day of all days is gonna say the F word. Some kid is gonna scream and cry over what he did or did not get. Someone's gonna be mad that they're going to the unfun granny's house this year. Some toy needs C batteries and mom got D batteries and every store is closed. And are you going to fight about what you're eating? Going to fight about who you're hanging with? Going to fight about something? And at some point, someone's going to say the dreaded F word. And a kid's going to open his present and watch his son, his, his brother or sister open their present. And they're going to say, it might be a kid. Actually, it most likely will be a kid in your house saying the F word. At some point, someone's going to say, it's not fair. You thought I was talking about a different F word, didn't you? Pagans. Fair, fairness, the human struggle of our lives. We want things to be fair. When we're kids, we want Christmas to be fair. Life is filled with unfairness, amen? You're not gonna get what you think you should get. Someone does half the work in your business and they get the promotions and they get the pay that you should get. It's not fair. In normal life, this is the reality. Your sister is having her fourth kid and you've had your second miscarriage. It's not fair. The girl dumped you and now is going out with him and you say, it's not fair. And then you say, is she really going out with him? Sorry, that just came to my mind. Squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> Pull it back. Life is filled with unfair. Now, normal life is filled with unfair. Throw in a global pandemic and life becomes what we would call in New England, wicked unfair. 
I, I know because I'm a pastor, I'm involved in lives, I'm involved in the real big moments of life, and I've done some weddings that should have been 250 people, and it's five people. Not fair, 2020 stinks. Or funerals, even worse. Funerals trimmed down to basically just walk by the casket with your mask on and only the immediate family. A whole life said goodbye to by five people. Not what? Fair. Life is filled with unfair moments. 2020 is the year in which we have the chance to really let the cosmic order know that we're upset. It's just not fair. I mean, I know this personally. My daughter was a senior in high school for 2020. I was so excited. 18 years, she's going to graduate. It's her first big achievement. We're going to have a blowout party. I can't wait to be stupid dad at the graduation ceremony. Anybody know what I'm talking Stupid dad with the cameras and the smile. And let's take a picture with every professor you've ever had. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I was going to totally do that. And what they did was instead of having a big graduation ceremony. There was just a, a closed room where she basically got to walk across the room in her cap and gown with two people there and just me and my wife and my two boys watching her. And it was the lamest graduation ever. Not fair. And then she goes to college and, and then she had to come back and quarantine and back to college and quarantine because one of her roommates got, you know, COVID or whatever and then all that kind of stuff. Not there. And as some of you, with your kids, you put them in school every year. The day that school starts is actually Christmas Day for you. And then the schools had the audacity to say, we're not taking them as much this year. Not <laughs> Life is filled with unfair moments. Here's a question. Why do we care about what is fair? That's a good question, right? That's like a big picture question. Why do you care if life is fair? Like if we're just highly evolved animals, we shouldn't care. If we're just highly evolved monkeys, fair isn't really there. Nobody's out in the animal kingdom worrying about the antelope getting eaten by the lion and saying, that's not fair. It's just, it just happens. But why do we humans care so much? I mean, think about 2020. Apart from COVID, there's the other big issue, um, racial or what people would call systemic racism or racial injustice or police brutality. It was really a question at its heart of what should be fair. Like are people being unfairly marginalized or mistreated? That was a big part of 2020 as well. And, and the question is simply this, why do we care about what is fair? Because we know, don't we? We know it should be fair. Something inside of us says this isn't right. Something inside of us says the scales are not balanced. Justice must be done. Well, it was this question that actually brought C.S. Lewis, the greatest theologian of the last century, to Jesus. C.S. Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, which by the way, apart from the Bible, I would say every Christian should read Mere Christianity. In fact, even before you read the Bible in some cases, because it'll help you read the Bible. C.S. Lewis was an atheist and a mean one. 
He used to love making arguments against God. He was an Oxford professor. And he used to love putting people's faith down. But it was the question of justice. See, the biblical term for fair is justice. It was the question of justice that got him racking his brain about the existence of God. And it actually was the question that led him to Jesus. He says in his book, God in the Dock, he said this, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. And then he says, but just how I, had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Was I comparing this universe with what I called it, what was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of my reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. We care about what is fair. This is what leads us to the big question of God and faith and reality. And to that end, we, we go to Isaiah 53, because Isaiah 53, when I was reading it this week, there was just one statement that kept going through my head. See, Isaiah 53, I remember last week we talked about this. Um, Israel was waiting for a savior who would deliver them, not from sin, but from Rome, from their oppressors from the people who took their land and occupied their nation and treated them as second-class citizens. And they said, someone needs to come and kick the Romans out so that life can be fair for us. And Isaiah says, there's coming someone born of a virgin. He's gonna come a root out of dry ground, a tender shoot. He's gonna come ordinary. We talked about that last week. He's not gonna have this pretense and this, this posturing position. He's just gonna be a normal person, but he's gonna come and he's gonna deliver you. But instead of being a conquering war military hero, he's coming as a suffering servant. What's the deal? Why would God do that? Life isn't fair and you're gonna send me a suffering servant to suffer with it? I, I don't like that. And Isaiah says, no, this is the plan. This is Christmas. This is why Jesus came. And it looks so unfair what happens to Jesus. Would you stand with me as we read this today? Reading Isaiah 53, verse four picking up from where we left off last week. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes, or wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has gone his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the wrongdoing of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, and like a lamb led to his shearers of silence, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in 
in his death, though he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And this is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice, to know your word, and to experience your grace in this very different December. Help us, God, to have ears to hear and a mind to receive what you would say to us. And always, Lord, we pray, help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Well, the gift is back. <laughs> That's what we do here in church. When your heads are bowed, we do things. The gift is Jesus. This is the gift, but it's an unexpected gift. It's not what you would think. It's not what Israel was hoping for. They wanted life to be made right, to, 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 for God to come and turn their injustice into justice. And instead, they get a suffering servant who suffers injustice. Three points and then we're done because we're gonna talk about the gospel today. The gospel, the announcement of Jesus, okay? The gospel announces, number one, write it down, the ultimate unfair exchange. You wanna talk about unfair, read Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are, what? That's Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. We can put it on the screen. I, I want you to see the transaction that goes down here at the cross. Jesus, the innocent, suffering servant of God. He gets grief, he gets sorrow, he gets, he gets affliction, he gets stricken, he gets smitten, he gets chastisement, he gets wounds. What do we get? Peace and healing. That is not fair. Why does God do that? Here's why, because we need this. We need the scales to be balanced. There needs to be an exchange. When somebody is wronged, somebody needs to pay for it. Jesus said, I'll pay for it. Here's what Jesus did. We all wronged God. And because we wronged God, we wrong each other. And Jesus steps up to the plate and he says, I'll pay for it. I will cover the cost of your sin. And I would do it and it's gonna look tremendously Tremendously unfair. It's Christmas season. You know what I hate? I hate Yankee Swap. <laughs> Anybody with me on this? It should be called Demonic Swap. You know what Yankee Swap is? It's when you have a bunch of people getting one gift and then everybody gets to pick the gift they want, but they do this number system. You pick a number out of a basket. So you get 15 people, one out of 15, and number one goes first and picks a gift, and then number two picks, and then he opens a gift. He says, do I want number one's gift or do I want my gift? And so swap, and then number three picks, and he gets three picks to pick from, and then four. By the time you get to number 15, oh, number 15, he's got 15 gifts to pick from. But let me ask you, pop quiz somebody, what's the worst number to have in Yankee Swap? Two. Two. I guess some of you haven't played it. 
Two is the worst because you go from one to 15. Everybody picks number 15 guy. You would think he got it. He gets the chance to pick all the, all the gifts. But no, some guy, some demon from hell made this rule that number one gets to pick two times. So number one gets to pick from all the gifts and then number two totally gets the shaft. Anybody ever been a number two at Yankee Swap? Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna tell you whether I have or not. I think it's pretty obvious. Here, here's what Jesus did at the cross. He said, I'll take that. I'll take number two for you. I'll take the worst. I'll take the pain. I'll take the scourge. I'll take the suffering. I'll take the smiting. I'll take the strickening. I will take it for you. It's the swap. And here's the thing. It's not fair. It's not religion. It's not religion. And it's not how we were raised. Because we're raised as Americans to work hard for what we get. And when we work hard, we should get. We are trained like this from birth. And we, 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 we are trained to be patient and say please. That's the first thing we're taught. Please, okay, now you get. Be a nice person, say please, now you get. Then we go to school, now, now you be quiet and you sit single file, no skipping stairs, and you get. You get a little bit older in school and you study hard, you get good grades, you get the honor roll, you get the good college, and then you study hard in college, you get the good grades, you get the good career, and then when you get the good career and you do work, hard work, and you show up early and you stay late and you obey and you trust and you, and you uh, honor your employer and you do everything that you get, and then you get, and then you get, and that's the, that's the American system. I got news for you, the American system is not the gospel system. That's why America might come and America might go, but the gospel still remains. The gospel is not the message that you get what you deserve. The gospel is the message that Jesus got what you deserve so that you can have what he had. It cuts, it cuts across the idea of religion. Here's what religion is. I've written this down. Basic, basic religion believes that God punishes bad people and rewards good people. That's religion. That's what some of you think we're all about. We're the good person church. We're a church full of good people. No, we're not. We're a church full of bad people. And all the bad people said? Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're pretty bad. I see some husbands refusing to look at their wives right now. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Let me talk about the fundamentals of religion because religion is nothing new to the human condition. Religion is nothing new to humanity. From ancient times, there's always been some form of religion, whether it be the pagans that lived in this country before the Europeans got here, or the, the Goths who lived in Germany, or, or, or the, uh, the Far Eastern Indians. It, it's all over the world. Basic religion is three things. Number one, there is a God. Number two, he is grumpy. Number three, if we appease him, he will give us the goodies. That's religion. Number one, there is a God. Number two, he's grumpy. Number three, if we appease him, he'll give us the goodies. So here's what religion does. Religion believes there's a God, so I gotta do good things to get on his good side because if I get on his good side, then he'll stop the, 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 the bad weather. He'll stop the, you know, the famine, the pestilence, the plague. He'll stop COVID. He'll stop uh, treating me this way. He'll stop people hating on me. He'll stop having me suffer all these things that I gotta suffer. He'll heal my kid. He'll get me free of this cancer. And if I just do enough things to please the grumpy God up in the sky somewhere, then I get the good life. 
That's religion. And the funny thing is, is that it's really not about God, is it? It's about us. That's why Jesus had such a problem with the religious people in his day and not the sinners. That's why the tax collectors and the prostitutes loved Jesus and the Pharisees and the religious leaders wanted him dead because he challenged their ideals about their religious practices and he exposed them for the frauds that they were and told them, your religious obedience is not really about the Father, it's about you. You're doing these things not for his sake, you're doing them for your sake so that people can see you and they can praise you and they can applaud you and you can feel good about you. And that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to teach us how to be good people to appease an angry God. Jesus came to show us that God is love, God is good, God is gracious, and he's so good, he's willing to give his only begotten son so that everybody who isn't good and believes in him can have the good eternal life with him. It's Emmanuel. It's not we get the goodies, it's we get God. That's the message of the gospel. Thank you, sister. And so Jesus has to come and balance the scales of the universe because we rejected this God, we hated this God, we ignored this God, and we get what we asked for, a godless life. And Jesus comes and says, I'm coming to fix what you messed up. I'm coming to put it back together. I'm coming to bring you healing. I'm coming to bring you peace. I'm coming to bring you life and life abundantly. I want you to write this down. The gospel isn't fair because life isn't fair and Christ balances the scales at the cross. That's the message, friend. That's why there's hope for the worst sinner in this room or the one that's online. If you're online and you're the worst sinner, just put your hand up emoji right now. In the chair. Just do it. Praise God. Don't be afraid to, under, to, to, to acknowledge that you're a sinner because God loves sinners. He's got nothing else to choose from than sinners. We're in this mess because of one man. That man's name was Adam. Adam is the father of us all. Uh, theologians talk about the Adamic nature, the Adamic nature. The reason why a child comes out of the womb completely selfish and self-absorbed is because he's of Adam. We come out of the womb, we're already crying. We're alive for a few seconds and we're already pissed off. <laughs> right? And, and then what do we do? We, we squeeze, we squeeze, we get our hold of something and we just, I'm not letting you go, I'm not letting you go. And we parents, we think that's so cute. Oh look, he's holding onto my finger. No, he's a devil child. He needs to learn how not to be selfish, really. Because his first words are not gonna be yours and thank you. His words are gonna be no and mine. And then he's gonna go to school and he's gonna pick on another kid and he's gonna, he's gonna trip some girl in the hallway because he's... He's a, he's a child of Adam. He's mean. He's born this way. He's bad. He's not right. That's why all these parenting books about building their self-esteem are full of garbage. You don't tell bad kids that they're really good. 
That's how you get this generation that we have right now of kids that don't respect authority. They don't listen to anybody and they think they have the right to tell everybody else how to live. I blame Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock says, stop spanking and start praising. No, stop praising and start spanking. We need to get the devil out of these kids. We're of Adam. We're in this mess because one man made a choice to walk away from God and we have paid for it ever since. But there's a second Adam. Scripture calls Jesus the second Adam. Why? Because there's only two men on this earth who were ever perfect. Adam was perfect temporarily until he sinned, then he, wasn't un- then he wasn't perfect. Jesus was the second Adam, the second perfect man to walk on this earth. Only the difference is, instead of screwing it up, he fixed it. Instead of failing the test, he passed it. Instead of doing wrong, he did what was right. And he takes the punishment for all the other Adam's sins upon himself at the cross. The scales are balanced. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, when he says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned. One man, Adam's death trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more with those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If you listen to me now and you say, I don't like the fact that I have to pay for Adam's sin, and it doesn't seem fair, here's the thing. Yes, you suffer because of one man's sin, but here's the good news of the gospel. You get eternal life with God because of one man's obedience. We don't have a beef with God. Every other religion can have a beef with God. Christianity, you can't. You can't have a beef with God because he suffered with us, and not just with us, but for us. Everybody take your hand, put it on your heart. And just say this after me, for me. Just say that, for me. If you're online, just for me. He suffered for me. Last week was with me, this week is for me. Which brings me to number two. The gospel announces God's substitutionary work. He took our place. He was the substitute for us at the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, All we like sheep have gone astray, each has gone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was crushed. By his wounds we were healed. Let's talk about that word, iniquity. Iniquity is an interesting theological term because it's not sin in action, it's sin in being. Think about the word in, inside. It's an iniquity. It's iniquity. Iniquity is the root cause of all the stupid crap that you do. And uh, I want you to think about that word a little bit more. Change one letter out of that word and you take iniquity and you can turn it into inequity. Inequity means things are not equal. Inequity means something is lacking. Now everybody knows that the world is lacking something. Even non-believers know this. Even people who don't believe in Jesus knows, know that, that something's not right here. It's inequity. We have iniquity, inequity inside of us. 
I think of uh, Madonna who was interviewed in Vanity Fair many, many years ago, and she said these words, quote, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's what's always pushing me. It's always pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will, end quote. Multi-platinum artist knows that there's still something here that's not equal, not right, doesn't measure up iniquity. She's not worried about sin. She's worried about herself. She's worried about herself not being what it should be. Or more modernly, Lady Gaga. Kind of dated myself with the Madonna reference there, right? Let's go to Lady Gaga, the heir apparent. She said in her documentary, Five Foot Two on Netflix, she said, crying on the phone to her agent, I'm all alone every night, and all these people are going to leave. They will leave, and I'll be alone, and I'll go from everyone touching me all day and talking to me all day to total silence. As much as people praise her, she still doesn't feel that she measures up. It's inequity. Iniquity. Sin is very important to understand. So, Paul, so Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone, we've turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the inequity, the iniquity of us all. A theologians call this the vicarious atonement of Christ. The vicarious atonement. There's a theological word for you. The substitutionary death of Jesus. He took our place. This is why Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, for me, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Substitution. The fundamental reality or doctrine of the gospel is not transformation. It is substitution. I want to say that again because then I'm going to unpack something here. The fundamental doctrine of the gospel is not transformation. It is substitution. The transformation can happen once we understand the substitution has happened. Why are you pressing on this, Pastor? Because most of us want Christianity for the transformation. Make my life better, Lord. Fix this. I got this issue. And as much as we'll sometimes serve God for the goodies, we'll also serve God so that we can be good. Because we don't really worry about the cost of our sin in the cosmic order, we just worry about the cosmic cost of our sin on the horizontal plane. If I hurt people that hurt me back and I wanna stop doing that, and because I'm a real self-preservation animal, I just wanna stop sinning so that it'll save me. And God says, no, no, I'm, I'm more interested in a deeper work in your heart of not just changing what you do, but changing who you are. At the, at the foundational level, we're obsessed in this generation with identity. And it's become like a game. Everybody's chasing an identity. If they don't feel comfortable in their own skin, maybe I need to change my skin. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe I'm this, maybe I'm that. Identity, identity, identity. Yes, we, we are chasing identity because we know there's something wrong with the deepest parts of who we are. Now the world will give all kinds of answers to that. Enjoy it, embrace it, march in the parade. That's who you are. Or, or put others down and lift up yourself. Look out for number one. Or all you need to do is put yourself out there and, and, and climb the mountain and achieve the dream. And you can do all that and still there's something missing inside here. So it's not about transformation. The world can give you transformation. And God does give you transformation. But first you've got to understand substitution. 
Philippians chapter two, verse seven, it says that he emptied himself. He emptied himself at the cross and became a servant born in the likeness of men. Why did he empty himself so that we could be full of him? A Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In other words, the inequity inside you has now been filled up by Christ who lives in you. And when he's in you, then he goes to work to change you from the deepest parts of who you are, the parts of you that you don't even understand and you can't even do anything about. God goes to work through the fullness of the Holy Spirit that dwells in the people who call on the name of Jesus. Substitution leads to transformation. He takes the punishment. He bears our pain. He stands in the gap for us and says, I'll bear what you can't. So there was this moment in my parenting life where this really hit me. Because it takes a long time to get it. It really does. I've been preaching this and I'm still getting it. Sometimes your kids can show it to you. I was one day studying in my home office for a message, trying to get quiet with the Lord. I had an infant son, we, my wife and I, had an infant son. Jake had just been born. My son Connor was playing in the other room with his friend. He was about eight years old. They were playing some video game, whatever. I had just, Cheryl was out, I had just got Jake quieted after like two hours of fussing. I was like, finally, I have some peace, some quiet to do study, to serve the Lord. And then I go to my office and I'm saying, and all of a sudden I hear a screech over the game, the video game, in my son's room with his friend, and, and it wakes up Jake again, and I just, I freak out. Wrath of God. And I run over to the room and I come and I say, who just screamed? And my son with eyes wide open said, it was me, Dad, it was me. And I said, You know what I'm talking about, the quiet scream? You know what I'm talking about, parents, right? So I just walked back into my office, calmed Jake back down, got back into my office, and went back to studying the Lord's Word. This is the ironic part of the story. And then after my son's friend left, I went back to the room to scold my son a little bit more, but without the kid there so that there was no boundaries. You know what I'm talking about? And I just cut it, and I start to go, and he goes, Dad, it wasn't me. I said, what? He goes, it was my friend. And I said, well, why did you let me scream at you? He says, because I didn't want you to scream at him. You know what my son did? He substituted himself. He said, I, I care about this guy, and I don't want your wrath on him. Don't you understand what Jesus did at the cross, friend? Jesus said, I care about these people, and I don't want your wrath on them. Put it on me. This is why the gospel is good news. This is why the gospel is God is love. This is why the gospel is Jesus is the way. This is, why, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion on the planet. It's not about us, it's about his goodness toward us. Number three and finally, the gospel announces our new life through Christ's death. Jesus takes death, we get life. Jesus takes death, we get life. He takes the bad, we take the good. It's an exchange, it's unfair. 
So Isaiah is going to tell us this. He goes all the way to the grave, right? This is what Isaiah says in verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He died so that we might live. Jesus told us when he walked on this earth, I've come to die. We want miracles. We want the stories. We want the wow moment. Jesus says, that's not what I came for. I came to die. John 10, 18, he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. And this charge I received from my Father. I've come to die. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus said, I did not come to serve, but, but to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. At the cross, it's death so that we might have life. That's the gospel message. That's what Christmas is about. That's why in 2020, what might be the worst Christmas you've ever experienced, I got good news for you. God does great things with bad things, situations. God takes death and he gives life. God takes the grave and he turns it into, he turns the tomb into a womb. Out of the womb of the tomb came Jesus Christ, the first fruits of our resurrection. And if he was raised to life again, we will be raised to life again. That's why when we go to the grave, no matter if five people are there because of COVID or 150 people are there because COVID's over, it doesn't matter. We know that that tomb is just the stop. It's just a stopping place. There's gonna be a resurrection. Someday the dead are gonna rise again. The G Jesus is gonna return and we're gonna rise to a new life and everlasting life and the reason why this is all going to happen is because Jesus tasted death for all of us Isaiah 53 verse 10 says it was the will of God it was the will of the Lord to crush him to put him to grieve and when his soul makes an offering this is a, a, a term for sacrifice that offering for guilt he shall see his offspring why does that say he shall see his offspring because he's going to see us in the resurrection of the righteous that's the truth of the gospel. The great unfair exchange substitutionary death wherein Jesus takes the pain and we get the promises. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we are healed. Sermon in a sentence, friends. In the gospel, God gives Christ what we had so that he can give us what he, what Christ has. It's not fair. It's not religion. It's good news. Now, think about that word news. If you're taking notes, circle it for a second because this is the last question that I have for you. When it comes to news, there's only really one thing that you have to do with it. Do you know what you have to do with news? receive it and believe it this is not fake news this is good news it's the good news that's available to you and if you trust it you'll be born again a child of God and this life as unfair as it seems and death will not be the end <laughs>